The Space Case Sarah Show with space nerds Kobe and Benjamin. Who is Space Case Sarah? Spunky, edgy, smart, funny, and a rebel feminist. Now, witness it yourself on iRock Space Radio. Hello, space enthusiasts, and welcome to another episode of the Space Case Sarah Show with my space nerds, Kavi and Benjamin, here on iRock Space Radio. You are joining us for our 20th episode, which is the Calcium episode, and we are doing another episode that is Science for Good. We're very excited to have a guest with us today who is the self-proclaimed astronaut wrangler, and uh, I will get more into the introductions with her in a bit here. Let's uh, let's do our, our normal song and dance and uh, talk a little bit about calcium because my space nerds here have always these um, kind of sometimes mind-blowing facts about different elements or some story that I usually end each episode going, I did not know that and my life has just been changed, ruined, altered in some shape or form. So, <laughs> Kavi, do you have a calcium fact for us today? Please don't ruin Don't ruin it. Like, I feel like you're all going to ruin it. I wouldn't, no, I wouldn't ruin it for okay. you. I, I feel like I set the bar too high when I told you about the use of pigeons uh, for reconnaissance. In World War One with cameras, yes. Yeah. I can't get over that, so yeah. I can't, I can't reach that <laughs> level anymore. But no, I, I think for me, one of the wildest things about calcium is the fact that calcium-48, one of the uh, isotopes of calcium, is produced by freaking supernovas. When stars explode, specifically white dwarf stars, and they explode, yes. producing right, calcium. That's the, the carbon, uh, um, not carbon, Carl Sagan quote, right? The calcium in your bones and, and the apple pie, right? Yeah, that yep. quote. Yeah. yeah. All from stars. <sighs> are all from stars. We are all very much star stuff. So yeah, I know that might be a simple fact and some of the folks listening might have heard that before, but to me, every time I read it or hear it, it's just like, yeah, we are literally made of star stuff. And that blows my mind. It is. Makes you feel so small sometimes too. Benjamin, and by the way, I forgot to say, this is Kavi of Fun Fact Science and Benjamin of Science, actually, actually science, depending on what platform you're on, but these are my space nerds. And uh, Benjamin, what, what, what are we, who are we honoring today? Ah, uh, everything airs according to plan. This is our calcium <laughs> 20th episode. It's going to air on December 31st. So happy new year, everybody. Uh, December 31st is astronaut birthday for Martin Fetman, who flew on STS 58. And happy scientist birthday to Robert Aitken, an American astronomer who discovered or helped discover over 3,000 double stars. And this is back in the late 1800s and early 1900s. So oh, big wow. props to that dude. And that's Happy it. Birth. Welcome to Calcium. Yeah, welcome to Calcium. And welcome to Calcium. <laughs> Where we brush our skeletons. <laughs> um, when um, Benjamin proposed this science for good um i like i honestly this is probably my most favorite thing to do on this show is to bring other people and other organizations to highlight and uplift them and the work that they're doing and i'm going to introduce our guest christina corp who i i think i don't you know i I friend request so many people on Facebook or they request me. I just like eventually my space world just kind of implodes on itself and everybody knows each other. But the thing that really jumped out at me was um, you expressing some discomfort with getting certified for diving. And that's how I became aware of your organization and the the nonprofit that or the foundation that you had started, which is um uh, sorry, my brain is space for a better world. Um, and you were preparing to record a segment for your space for a better world foundation. And you were talking about how you were having some ear problems. And that was when I like was sort of like, Oh, what is this person doing? And, um, why don't you introduce yourself and your organization? And then we can maybe talk about diving or whatever nonsense we want to jump into. <laughs> you bet. Yeah. As you say, I, I'm a self-proclaimed <coughs> Angler. So, um, you know, for many, many years, I was a singer. I used to tour all over the world and I, my whole life was about becoming a rock star. I was in a family band, moved to LA, had some success with Sina Warner Brothers, sang with Ringo Starr, toured all over the world. This was my life before. And I produced some concert specials 
for a guy named John Tesh that Kavi is not going to have any idea who that dude is. Um, <laughs> but he's on Entertainment Tonight. And so I produced a couple concert specials for PBS with him, and I was featured in one of them at Red Rocks in Denver. And then I was just burnt out, and I needed to find a quiet, boring life. And that's when I added, uh, answered an ad in The Hollywood Reporter to work for Buzz Aldrin, Apollo 11 astronaut. So I always say I wanted to be a rock star, but I fell into space with the rock star of astronauts. And so I ended up um, just starting out as Buzz's assistant. They needed somebody who could run his, um, his speaking engagements, media, PR, et cetera. And that was, to me, this was like, man, this is a piece of cake, one old dude. <laughs> um, and then before I knew it, and within a few years, I was running his company and um, was responsible for all things Buzz. Uh, and so all the stuff about Mars, all the stuff about get your ass to Mars, it was all me trying to find a way to inspire people or get them to pay attention to what he cared about, which was future missions to Mars. You know, he was sick to death about talking about them walking on the moon. And I kept saying, well, you're going to still have to keep telling that story. There's no way around it. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> that's how people will believe you about your, why they should listen to you about future missions and permanent settlement on Mars. So I know more about um, Mars than I ever wanted to know. And <laughs> I know a I have become somewhat of an authority on Buzz Aldrin's ex experience of Apollo 11 and his mission to the moon. I know much, much more than most people because I've heard stories that he, you know, only told me so, um, <laughs> and maybe in ways that other people haven't heard it. So 12 years of my life were devoted to Buzz Aldrin. And then after the 50th anniversary of Apollo 11, I thought, man, I'm done with space. That's enough. 12 years, a pretty good chunk of my life. And then the pandemic hit, and then I was trying to figure out what I was going to do. And um, one of my friends in the White House was like, you can't leave space. You're like, you're in deep space already. <laughs> you're, you're too far away. You've come you're, too far. <laughs> and you're too connected, and you need to own your place in space because you're one of the most connected people I know. So that's when I started thinking, he's right. I know dozens of astronauts. I still work with moonwalkers like Charlie Duke. And that's when I decided to start doing, working with multiple astronauts. And all of this also led me to my purpose because of hearing thousands of moon landing memories of what I'm doing now with my foundation, which is um, I realized I maybe have a responsibility of being the fly on the wall of the Apollo astronauts' lives to try to help remind people of what these guys were a part of and how this changed the world and how we all benefit from space technology in every single way that most people just can't even fathom how much they use space technology. And so that's why about a year and a half ago, uh, two years, I started doing Space for a Better World. But it was about a year ago when I did a giant artwork project in Atlanta, Georgia, to inspire women and girls for uh, Women in Space for World Space Week and International Day of the Girl, that the astronauts who came to support me said, look, start your own foundation. We know you. We, we know that you're really trying to do something good. We will come and support you. And so my first big fundraiser for Space for a Better World was to celebrate the 50th anniversary of Apollo 16. And that I did a big gala in London at the Science Museum and brought 11 astronauts, six women, five men, and uh, that was my big first fundraiser. And so I'm trying to raise money to do space art outreach and inspiration projects and partner with schools. And I don't want to run another like education nonprofit, but I want to try to help shine a light on what other people are doing in their communities by doing giant art projects and then also doing storytelling with astronauts. And so that's how it came about with the place I saw from space that you're, you were talking about, which is... I've been very lucky to travel the world with astronauts and get to go to lots of cool things with them. And I realized I should document this because, you know, I, there are so many, like it's my reality, but it is actually also pretty cool that I get to travel the world with astronauts. So leading to scuba diving, and we could talk about that. The funny thing <laughs> is, is Buzz Aldrin, all of the astronauts are scuba divers. And yeah. they all have to train for spacewalking. You know, they all, this is a part of their reality. And so the funny thing is all the years I worked with Buzz, I never scuba dived. I went snorkeling with him with whale sharks in Australia, in Exmouth, Australia. I went yeah. snorkeling in the Maldives and in Israel. I did all this stuff, but I never went scuba diving because remember, so I, I grew up in South Dakota 
<laughs> yeah. As far away from the ocean as you can get in North <laughs> America. Flatlanders, yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so it was a big deal for me to even just go snorkeling on the ocean. <laughs> it's like right. one place that I'm terrified is to be underwater. And so, but I was going back to the Maldives with Nicole Stott. And I thought, ah, screw it. I better learn how to scuba dive finally <laughs> and film it. So that that's how, so that's how, if you discovered me, it was like, okay, I'm going to, I'm just going to do this now. And I'm going to try to learn how to scuba dive. And my first day was not great. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> I'm not sure this is going to be a good thing for me, but I will say Nicole, you know, she told me she has the same fears that I do. And she's a mm-hmm. NASA astronaut and she was an aquanaut who lived underwater for 18 days and she did a spacewalk <laughs> And I thought, oh, wow, if she could do, if she's as terrified as I am still, all right, then I can do this. So, um, so yeah, so that, and by the way, my ear is still plugged. Oh, oh no. Well, (laughs) I mean, first of all, like not to jump right to diving, because like everything you just said, like that you just skimmed us through of your, your backstory (laughs) and how you got to where it is. We're like, wow, that is incredible that your story is incredible. Incredible. And it's real. It's yeah, it's that's an incredible mm-hmm. story. Um, oh, I was there was something I was going to. Oh, I was going to say, though, really quick. You know what? Before the diving, the one thing that I did notice about you is that you are the person who jumps in your pictures. Like that was the one thing that I was like, this person, like she's got this jumping thing that she does even in like really professional, like really legitimate places and you're like we got to do a jumping picture and there's always like one picture of you doing the leap in the air jump thing and um this is true and and (laughs) in in inappropriate places like i did it at stephen hawking's funeral on the reception (laughs) (laughs) i did i did it i did it For, for context, are these photos where, you know, you kind of get everybody who's posing with you to jump or it's like everybody is standing there solemn and you're no, standing no. the only one? No, usually I make someone take a photo of me <laughs> jumping. So so either it's a willing participant or it's someone rolling their eyes at me and they do it anyway. <laughs> I gotta see but that. It just, and if I can, I try to get people to do it with me too. And sometimes people are willing and sometimes they're just like, no. I'm not. Yeah. I, and I just love, I, I think that was the thing that I noticed first. Cause I was like, man, like that's her thing. And she owns it because I yeah. love when people, um, you know, just like, you, like you decide that that's your thing and you own it. And that to me is just fantastic. Um, but yeah, your story is, is so awesome. And, um, I'm glad that you were encouraged to keep sticking with space because I really enjoyed, um, the place I saw from space. I thought it was very well produced, really, really well done. And I'm, I'm really excited to see what more you're going to be. Yeah. We're, we're trying to do some more, um, you know, my bread and butter is booking the astronauts. Uh, and so we're kind of busy with that kind of thing, but yeah. And then of course, producing events and stuff. So there are actually a lot of really cool things coming up next year. And I just did a zero gravity flight with Charlie Duke and Poppy Northcutt mm-hmm. at Kennedy space center. And so I, I like to do fun things with astronauts cause they're willing to let me abuse them that way. Um, <laughs> And they love it, actually. And Poppy came when she was on the Zero-G flight. She was like, I just figured out that in order to do fun things, I got to hang out with you more often. <laughs> <And> so, <laughs> That's awesome. I'm well, you think things happen like that. But then doing it also as a fundraising you know, avenue for to help me fund outreach. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. Well, plug your, your website and your social media handles really quick, and we're going to take our first break, and then we'll jump into more conversation after this break. Sure. My, so the foundation is spaceforabetterworld.com, and the social handles are spacefabworld, at spacefabworld. Um, and then if you want to follow me, because that's where you see the jumping photos, <laughs> either astronaut wrangler or um, xtina underscore court. Perfect. Well, Awesome. We are going to continue talking about, I, I know that these guys are itching to ask questions about your experiences with different astronauts and stuff like that. Um, we're going to keep talking about uh, the work that you do, the things that you do, the extraordinary journey that you have been on when we get back. So as a reminder to all our listeners, I am Space Case Sarah on all the time wasters, as Kavi would say. Um, and uh, Kavi, why don't you drop your handles quick and Benjamin, then you, and we will cut to our break. 
You can find me at Fun Fact Science on uh, all the good procrastination apps. <laughs> find me as uh, Science Actually on Facebook and on TikTok and on Instagram and Actually Science as well, in case the Science Actually was taken by some other scoundrel. <laughs> Yeah, that was, that was dirty. Um, and then you are also welcome to follow IROC Space Radio. You still can sign up for the crew club and get a free T-shirt. So make sure you bop over to the website and do that. And as I've mentioned in the past few episodes, our shows are now going up on the website. And so you can listen to them after the fact on my show's page, the Space Case Sarah Show page. So if um, you're listening to this after the fact, uh yeah, that's awesome. We're, we're so excited that you still took the time to to listen. And, and if you're listening to it live, that's even more awesome because we love it when people tune in when it's airy live. So you are listening to the Space Case Sarah Show here on iRock Space Radio, and we will be right back after the break. Welcome back to the Space Case Sarah Show with Kavi and Benjamin, as always. And this week we are doing one of our episodes of Space for good. And we are highlighting someone who is doing space or um, something in the science world that is for a good cause. And so this week we brought on the astronaut wrangler, Christina Corp, who just in the first segment told us about this, you know, like all blase. She's like, yeah, I was a you know, rock and roll and I did all these things and musician and blah, blah, blah. And then I decided to just, you know, manage Buzz Aldrin's life. Um, <laughs> like, you know, as one does. Um, I do think what's really interesting, I've worked in SciComm enough now, and I've met many other people in both the SciComm world and then like people who work at NASA or in, you know, the private space sector. A lot of us do have backgrounds in both music, because I actually started my undergrad in music performance, um, and also um, diving. Like diving is also, yes, a, a very yeah Benjamin I'm sorry you need to get on it but um that was Kavi actually inspired me to get my certification after I saw him get certified and I remember reaching out to him and saying like you know like what was your experience like and stuff like that and he said the same thing he was like um the the first time it was it was kind of terrible like the first time down was slightly terrifying and I will tell you I also I've had two now major panic attacks um, mm -hmm. just attempting to go down because I live in the Midwest and we get to dive in, you know, these dirty, muddy lakes. And there's something about these dark, cold lakes that my brain is like, nope, 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 <laughs> nope. This is death. No. And I, uh, I had one this summer, actually. And I've divin I've divin I've dove. Oh, my gosh. At least 200 times now. You know, like I've, I dive a lot. And um, yeah, my boyfriend owns a scuba shop. So it's kind of like what happens when, yeah, but, um, I, yeah, but I still, I still have my moments where I freak out. And so that was why I reached out to you. I don't remember. I think I just left a message generally and where I was like, like, don't worry. Like it'll be fine. Yeah. It'll be okay. <laughs> um, so tell us you, you, so I remember you having that first bad day, but then you said that the next day it went a lot better. Right. Yeah, well, the first day, um, so I was doing okay. You know, I was passing all the tests. I was okay. What it was, what was really bothering me was uh, flooding my mask. That was freaking mm -hmm. me out. Mm -hmm. And I realized, you know, how some people are a mouth breather. I am a yeah. nose breather. And so <laughs> it was really hard for me to turn my nose off and not keep inhaling water. So that was part of it. And then when I finally was kind of like getting my head around that and going down in the water, then my ear, I, I was struggling mm. to get my ears um, cleared and they, you know, they would tell me to pinch my nose with my fingers and then like, you know, kind of blow to clear them. And what that was doing was letting water into my mask every time. Oh, no. And so, and then I would inhale it and then that would freak me out. And then I, so I wasn't clearing my ears and my ears were killing me. My left ear was killing me. So I actually, at one point was like at the bottom of this spring and I was probably, I don't know, maybe 18 feet down. And my ear was just killing me. So I inflated my BC and I just shot straight to the surface. And he just came up and yelled at me and said, no, we got to go back down. And, yeah. and so after that, I didn't stay much longer. And I was just like, I just can't quit inhaling this water. And it was driving me nuts. And then that's when I talked to Nicole Stott on my way home. I called her saying, this isn't going so great. I I'm not sure <laughs> it's going to work out. 
I can't quit breathing out of my nose. I just keep inhaling water, you know, and then I said, and I'm, you know, this is terrifying <laughs> like to go underwater. And, and then she's like, Oh, I know what you mean. That's how I feel. And yeah. then, and then it wasn't just Nicole, even Cyan Proctor said, Oh God, yeah, I have the same problems. And I was like, Oh, wait a minute. These, these ladies both scuba dive all the time <laughs> and they still have this problem. And that's when I thought, okay, maybe I could figure out how to do this. And so the funny thing is the next day, I figured out how to clear my ears just by kind of clenching my teeth mm -hmm. and not having to touch my mask. And that just made all the difference then to where mm -hmm. I touch my mask and let the water in. And then, then everything was much better. But, but when I went in the Maldives, the funny thing is like, everybody's like, wow, you look so chill. This is your first time. Wow. You look so natural. And I mean, inside, <laughs> I was still like, I'm still terrified. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> not yeah. Like, still terrified, but <clears throat> Uh, yep. But I went diving three times in the Maldives and it was I'll just one last thing I'll say is the third dive was actually the coolest. And we were kind of going into a little cave and, and that's where my brain was like, going into a cave, going into a cave. And I started yeah. like <laughs> rising and hitting the ceiling and, and then it was just an immediate, you know, out. But the funny thing is, is my mask like fogged up and the dive master came over and kept telling me like to put my face down and then shake, you know, and mm -hmm. I didn't know he meant and what he meant was to put water in my mask to like a little bit to help yep yep so and then it cleared up and I was like oh wow I thought this was a murky water I just couldn't see <laughs> <laughs> but, but, like wow this is amazing this is the mall right but the other oh, thing yeah. I would tell you I was saying like flooding my mask was oh my god it was just so hard um yeah but the funny thing is is when I had to do the testing and take the mask off and mm -hmm. prove that I could put it back on because I wear contacts um so I had to keep my eyes closed. Like the last time I did it, my, my uh, mask got caught in my hair and I had it braided and I couldn't oh. get it un untangled from my Oof. hair. Yeah. I spent, I mean, I'm not kidding, like a couple minutes, like trying to get this thing with no mask on and just, and that's when I put that back on and then cleared it. And the guy goes, how come you can do that? And you can't right. flood your mask. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't panic. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I was going to say, I'm impressed you didn't panic. Yeah. yeah like, yeah, that part was easier than flooding my mask. I think it's because you're seeing the water, you know, go up right. to your eyelids and that's, you know. Well, you're not alone with the mask flooding thing. I'm sure, Kavi, you struggle with that too. And actually, I tell yeah. people there's actually an evolutionary reason that we freak out with that because we have kind of receptors in our nose cheekbone area here that when water hits it, there's a part of your brain that's like, ah! Like I'm, I'm going to drown, you know, it's like a protective mechanism. So it does trigger a little part of your brain to go into a survival mode. And you have to consciously override that and be like, no, no, it's okay. I'm not drowning. Um, but there is something that when water hits our face, our brains have a, uh, so it's sort of like touching a hot stove, you know, the same thing. Like you, you have a reflex that's faster than you can control. Um, and I, mm. I always think very science-based. And so for me say, to get over my reason, yeah, yeah, there's a science reason for everything. And so for me, that's how I work through things. It doesn't seem to always help everybody else, but I try to always remind people like, don't worry, this is natural. This is normal. Your body is just trying to like, not let you die. <laughs> so, I'm, not, I'm not as much of a coward as I thought. So that's yeah, good. There you science. go. See, <laughs> science. I'm I love this. I, I think that one of the things that, um, well, I was going to, I was going to ask you in general, if you thought that there was like a particular difference in, you know, helping wrangle astronauts from the Apollo era versus astronauts, you know, from the shuttle era more recently. And I think that it kind of connects to what we're talking about, which is this idea of humanizing the experience, right. And being able to talk to Nicole about the fact that she still struggles with certain things. So it's not like, you know, I feel like, when we think about uh, maybe Buzz and, and Neil, we're picturing these kind of demigods who did these incredible feats mm -hmm. that nobody ever thought were possible before. And now it's like, yeah, you know, I also struggle with scuba diving. I also get freaked out in situations and it's about how to cope with that, right? Does that kind of... Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, so the funny thing is because I came from the rock star world. I mean, I was literally like hanging out with um, Aerosmith and people like that. And I... <laughs> And I was like singing on stages for between 20 and to 100, 200,000 people. I was doing gigantic concerts. So when I met Buzz, I was just like, here's an old dude. <laughs> and, and I wasn't dazzled by him. And to be honest, I think that's why it worked out so well, because I didn't grow up with these guys on my wall. They, mm -hmm. To me, they were just, mm -hmm. you know, he was some name I knew. And when I met him, he looked like a sweet old man. 
And then I <laughs> learned very quickly he was a bull in a china shop. <laughs> the main right hook. Yeah, very, yeah. very. Yeah, yeah. Actually, my dad, the first time my dad met him was two weeks after I started working for him. And my dad said, I heard you beat some guy up. <laughs> and Buzz said, no, it was more like a one punch. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I so I think, first of all, I, I didn't really realize what I was getting myself into. I didn't realize how I knew he was an icon, but it was just different than actually hanging out with an icon and then having Neil Armstrong call him and Michael Collins call him and having these people congratulate me on this, you know. But I think the reason that, and, and all the Apollo astronauts welcomed me really quickly into their circle. And I think it's because I didn't, I wasn't in awe of them. I was just thinking they're a bunch of old dudes who went to space. And so, <laughs> so I think that's why they treat, they really quickly welcomed me in because I didn't treat them like, oh my gosh, they're untouchable. I, I was just treated them like a bunch of old fly guys and I got to be in the room when they would like make fun of each other and they would rib each other and they would, you know, so the funny thing now is people, I've had people say to me, Oh, astronauts are the elite humans. I'm like, no, they're not. They're just as flawed as the rest of us, <laughs> but they're, but the thing I admire about astronauts and I say this all the time is that they're willing to take the risk. They're they don't give up. They keep trying, you know, they have this hunger to keep pushing you know, and that's the thing that really sets astronauts and not just astronauts, by the way, people in space in general, I think, you know. And so, you know, comparing the Apollo astronauts to the younger ones, I mean, or the next generation ones, I mean, the, definitely even the younger astronauts in the next generation look at the Apollo guys as, you know, they're the they're the top, they're the gods of space, you know, uh, that being said they also kind of sometimes don't some astronauts the of like the shuttle era and, and the newer era haven't liked doing events with the Apollo astronauts because they really get outshined <laughs> by the Apollo <laughs> you know, sure. I can imagine, I can all imagine. the attentions on the Apollo astronauts but even if they idolized them but you know I, I don't know I mean I will say this look Nicole Stott is a dream to work with of all the astronauts she's wonderful if you've ever met her she's literally down to earth yes i know that unintended uh, <laughs> <Pun> <laughs> yeah. and she's wonderful and i just love her dearly and i mean cyan too you know i call of these all of these ladies my space sisters you know they're really mm -hmm. there's like a kindred there's an interesting kindred kind of relationship between the female astronauts that is different than the guys the guys there's the camaraderie but with the women there's this unity that's different um mm. sure and that's not to say the guys are bad or anything, but it's definitely no, no. each other out in a way that's really interesting. Um, so do they need wrangling? I mean, I joke about wrangling Nicole and she'll say, I'm the wrangled astronaut, you know, but, <laughs> but she's actually a dream to work with. Now, Buzz, I mean, I have said when I started calling myself the astronaut wrangler, some people really were offended by that. Some people probably still are, to be honest. But but the funny thing is that the astronauts all think it's hilarious. So I, I feel like as long as the astronauts are cool with it, yeah, I'm still going to be the astronaut wrangler because they all know it is not, they're not, it's not like, oh, come on, guys, let's go. It's like, come on, let's go. <laughs> 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 Do they need that much prodding? You know, <laughs> like, like okay, over yes. here, over here. <laughs> yeah, like, no, no, not five minutes ago, no. <laughs> and I love how you call Nicole your partner in purpose. I think that that's such an intentional phrase. Um, just, a, I, I think it's, it's very, a very clever way to connect your kind of your cause, but then, um, you know, kind of give her that equal footing, even though you call yourself the astronaut wrangler, it's not like you're the, the big PR, you're, she's your partner in purpose. And, um, I, and I really, that really jumped out at me actually, when I was doing some research on your organization and stuff. Um, Benjamin, I know has some questions cause he told me he had, he had a little, he had a little list running. So I want to give him a chance to oh, no. shoot his shot. Come on. <laughs> what? Okay. Come on. Right now. Come on. I'm I'm the radio host wrangler. Come on. Let's go. Right. Right. Well, going along with how all the astronauts, everyone has them up on this pedestal, but you got to know them as, you know, real just people. Uh, some of the questions I have are, are are a bit silly. Like, which one's the funniest? Which one has the worst table manners? That kind of question. Oh, oh, I, can, I can answer that. I would love to hear this. I would absolutely yeah, love to hear this. The um, funniest is definitely Michael Collins. He was ah. hilarious. 
so funny such a dry wit really quick and i mean everyone would agree about that um and buzz even talked about on their way to um the moon i mean he just would crack them up he just there we did a quaker oats commercial about four or five years ago maybe five or six years ago it only aired in the uk by the way i don't know why but they found this audio of um, where, you know, they would get the news read to them every day from Mission Control. And they said, oh, we found today this Irishman won the porridge eating contest with 23 bowls of oatmeal. And uh, Michael oh. Collins is like, um, I think we need to enter Aldrin next time. He's on his 19th bowl. <laughs> <You know? laughs> he was always like making jokes, you know, like that. And even among all the Apollo guys, he, he was just so funny. Um, I loved him. And then as far as uh, who has the worst table manners, I'd definitely say Buzz, for sure. <laughs> yeah, that's why, that's why often I had to clean up after him. Like a, Actually, one time I yelled at him at one of my Christmas parties um, because he'd always come to my Christmas parties and people would be like, holy crap, is that Buzz Aldrin? And when I first moved to Florida and I was in my house, he got a big bowl of salsa and he sat down on my brand new couch. No. Oh no! Get off of my couch right now! You know better than that. And people were like, "I can't believe you just yelled at Buzz Aldrin." I said, "He knows better than that." <laughs> oh, I love that. I love that. Well, we're gonna take another break, and I'm sure we have plenty more to talk about and plenty more questions because I feel like we've just like just started. Like we just started talking to you, and I, that's what I told you. Like it does not take long to fill up these 15 minutes for us. Um, yeah. We will come right back after this break and continue to talk to Christina Corp, the self-proclaimed astronaut wrangler who has lots of great stories about some of the, I, I love that. It's also to you, you're like, these are just a bunch of old men that like went to space. <laughs> like, like as one does, I mean, you're just dropping like, and I was there with Aerosmith as one does, <laughs> you know? Like, <laughs> so we'll continue talking with Christina. When we return, you are listening to the Space Case Sarah show with my space nerds, Kavi and Benjamin here on IROC Space Radio. Uh, welcome back to the Space Case Sarah show where um, Christina is dominating the guys and returning to the green room for those that are not the green room returning from the green room for those of you keeping track of the ever important heated competition of returning to the recording studio. I mean, obviously, it's like the World Cup and then this race. That's pretty much how this is going in order of importance in the world right now. Um, but Benjamin is still. Yeah completely dominating so i'm gonna have to figure out your prize because i said the end of the year would i would award something to somebody um we have with us christina corp the astronaut wrangler who also started a uh, a foundation which she wanted to basically utilize to kind of highlight other other people and other projects and other things to uh, demonstrate the importance of space and space exploration and how it affects us on a on a day-to-day -day basis. And I did actually hear you um, mention in your Maldives video, uh, the overview effect. Um, and that was something that you wanted to highlight as well as um, this experience that so many astronauts have when they go to space is they realize this precious connectivity that we all have. And that is this shared planet with this very thin little blue line that is our atmosphere that separates us from space. And something that I like to say a lot to people when I do outreach in the various ways that I do is that we have this idea when we're on Earth, it's so small that it's like, we're on Earth and out there, that's out there is space. But we're a part of space. Like Earth is a part of space. We're part of this whole just amazing thing. Um, I mean, Kavi started with saying that we have calcium in our bones because of <laughs> exploding stars. It's incredible. And I think the overview effect just like cements that into astronauts' brains when they experience that that overview effect and just you see this fragility of what our planet is. And so I think it's a really a beautiful, beautiful idea to go around the world with astronauts and, and highlight, you know, the, the, the beauty of our planet and from these people who got to see it from high above. And so through this uh, and all of your adventures, you get to meet a lot of astronauts, which you've been telling us about. Um, you mentioned Dr. Proctor and this um, kind of special bond that the women have. And I, I wanted to comment on that really quick because I had somewhat of a similar thought and experience. And I'm sorry, guys, maybe close your ears. When I went to base camp, I went to Everest base camp last year. 
um, to base camp one. And <laughs> no, I'm just saying, I'm just saying it's a real thing. And I, I got my period like the first day we headed out on the mountain and you're hiking all day with no access to bathrooms. And I'm like, you know what? No one said anything in any YouTube video I watched about how to manage your waste when you're on like the mountain. And I think, you know, so to kind of come back to like why I started Space for a Better World is First of all, you know, here I am hanging out with the, these Apollo astronauts and often all, like all these guys and then just me in the room. And mm -hmm. that's when I would come back and talk to people and they're like, man, you got to be documenting this. And I and I really didn't take it seriously. I have to admit, I mean, it was just my job. I, sure, I was dazzled by like, wow, I get to be here and meet President Obama and get to go with the Apollo 11 crew. You know, I, I got to do a lot of cool things, which, by the way, I mean, I asked to go too. I they didn't just say, hey, you want to come along? It was me usually saying, hey, can I come? I'll volunteer. I'm not going <laughs> to, yeah. you know, I'll pay yeah, my own like, money, whatever. Like because I, 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 I volunteer as tribute. I know it's, it's a tough, it's a tough. Yeah. yeah. Well, <laughs> and, and so people are always surprised, like when things happen, when you're like, no, 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 they didn't invite me. I asked to go, you know? So that's something that often people need to understand too, that things don't just happen to you. Usually you have to make them happen or find a way. Sure. But, but that's where too, like you've got Sally right there on your, on your wall. And, you know, in the first year and a half that I worked with Buzz, we got, uh, we did a Louis Vuitton campaign with Buzz and Jim Lovell and Sally Ride. And so that was pretty cool to be there for that shoot. Same thing. I asked, can I come to that shoot? Because I would not have been able to go. I was working for Buzz and his wife um, and her daughter at the time. And so later, though, when I, you know, started working, when I took over Buzz's life, when he divorced that woman, then he became like my kid and I had to take over running his life. <laughs> really no that's a whole other story but but well, what I was going to say is that you know I have five brothers I'm one of 10 children and I am you know one of the middle kids and I'm you learn you're very resourceful you learn how to make your way when you're when you're a middle kid of 10 kids and so I am actually grateful that it was that way because I joke about it bordering on neglect and this is why I'm quite quite resourceful <laughs> quite independent um, but it's also why I can hold my own in a room full of men. So I, I never felt intimidated by being in a room full of Apollo astronauts. I never felt like, wow, I don't deserve to be here because I was like, hmm, these are just a bunch of like my brothers in old form, you know? And so, <laughs> sure. so, um, but it, after a while I did realize I am here with all these guys where the ladies, and then I began to meet, you know, Joanne Morgan, the first woman to work in mission control. I bet. Uh, we did some things with Mae Jemison, the first black woman in space. Um, you know, I started meeting, yeah, these different women who were the pioneers of space and realizing, wow, you know, these ladies, sure, sometimes they get kind of recognized, but not not anywhere near the level that the guys do. And that's what, towards the end, especially for the Apollo 50th anniversary, I highlighted, we honored uh, Joanne Morgan, that first woman. And I hadn't met Poppy Northcutt yet, but I became aware of her at that point. And so the 100th anniversary of Women's Right to Vote came up in 2020, and I thought, I'm going to start doing things to honor women, um, because I, here I am surrounded by these icon, men who are icons, but there are a lot of amazing women, especially in space, and maybe I could start trying to draw attention to what, what they've done, and in a way that hopefully will get people to recognize their contributions. And so, again, because I hang out with astronauts, though, I get to meet a lot of these people, which, you know, are the, I'm, I'm in a privileged position because I have, because of my access with astronauts and stuff, I get to meet a lot of these people. But they also see what I'm doing. And, and that's why, so, so I want to get back to the aim higher thing, because that's why I've had so much support from the women, is that my favorite moon landing came from two sisters in Turkey. Um, literally every day, being with astronauts, you hear people's moon landing memories, especially with Buzz. So every breakfast, every time we'd walk into a hotel or get on a plane or be anywhere at any event, someone had to share their moon landing memory. And it got to the point where Buzz would say, hold on, Christina's going to record you. So I have a lot of them where people are telling Buzz Aldrin their memory, which is really wonderful oh. and heartwarming. And someday I'll do yeah. something with all of that. I wanted to do like a documentary about it. Um, and the funny thing is people are like, oh, it's too heartwarming. You need some drama. And I'm like, I think people need some good news sometimes. But, um, but, but the one I didn't record, which I'm regretful, but I, it has just always stayed with me, was these women had hired Buzz to give a speech in Nashville, Tennessee. And when we were in the green room, it was a breakfast speech. They said, now we can tell you our moon landing memory. 
We were young girls in Turkey. The younger sister was eight at the time and 12 years old during the moon landing. And they said, we, we lived in a village with no running water, no electricity. Our mother couldn't read or write. And our father only had a fifth grade education, but he was so inspired by the Apollo missions. And he read the newspaper every day. So he saved up money and bought a Grundig radio. And so the night that Apollo 11 landed on the moon, everyone from their village and the surrounding areas came to their house to listen to the moon landing on wow. their radio. Aww. And they said, when we heard you succeeded, we felt like we did it. And everyone was hugging and cheering and crying and jumping up and down. And they were proud that America had done it because they said Ru Russia had been trying to convince the Turkish people that they had landed on the moon. And hmm. so... Um, they said when we heard it was America, which represented freedom, they were so proud and felt, you know, proud that humans had accomplished this amazing thing. They said afterwards, everyone calmed down and they went outside and everyone was quiet, sitting on the ground, looking up at the moon. And I said, what were you thinking? And they said, we realized we could aim higher for our dreams. Humans were on the moon. You know, they were going to just try to graduate high school. That was a huge step up from their parents and maybe become teachers. But they said, we didn't, we realized we didn't have to settle for that. Humans had landed on the moon. And so the older sister went on to get her uh, PhD in quantum physics and the younger sister got her MBA. And then they were like, and now we've hired you to speak at our leadership <laughs> conference. Like our father would be beside himself. And so I'm just like crying, like listening to this. I crying listening to you. <laughs> <laughs> and I was just like, oh my gosh, like this realization of what, this is what I have witnessed over and over and over is people explaining like what that moment did to the world. And I always tell people, it's like the one event in recorded human history where the world celebrated a positive achievement for humanity. And so I've been the witness to these stories over and over and over. But this one particular stuck with me because they were women and they were girls. And this moment lit a spark within them to aim higher, you know. So that's why I thought, wow, you know, I can relate to this. I'm a girl from South Dakota who came from a very humble background, one of 10 children. And I wanted to travel the world. And people would always say to me, I was eight years old, I remember saying, I'm going to travel the world. And people are like, you know, keep dreaming, little girl. And I was like, I find a way. I'm going to figure out a way to do this. Oh, you know? yeah. And so um, so I could relate to these women because I always say you could never predict the trajectory of my life, the way that I grew up in South Dakota, to going all over the world with men who walked on the moon. And so if I could try to, maybe this was my next mission, my purpose. This Maybe this is what this has led me to. I was the steward of Buzz Aldrin's legacy. But maybe now my my responsibility is to try to remind people of all this these stories that I've heard and then hopefully light that spark of purpose within others or that light that spark of believing they could do something that people tell them is impossible. Or or like I say, if your circumstances or whatever you come from, it is possible to do something which seems impossible you know, if you, if you put your mind to it. So that's where the aim higher is like aim higher for what, you know, society or what people tell you aim higher. You can, you can do it. I'm living proof. These ladies are living proof, you know? So that's, that's the idea behind it. And the female astronauts especially have joined me in this mission because they too, you know, have often um, exceeded society's expectations or or you know what what society maybe has told them was possible for them as women and so that's the reasoning behind all of this. <laughs> well i'm i might be like your biggest fan now <laughs> oh, yeah. like oh gosh um yeah guys because <laughs> I, I i need to recoup a little i'm i'm known as the weeping one on, on this well, show you're sitting on a wealth of information this needs to be made into a documentary these interviews or put into a book or something I mean, it, just to have that people telling their experiences of Buzz to Buzz, especially the stories like this, it's incredible. It oh, has. Yeah. To be you should have it's, like a tissue box warning on it, though. You should also have a <laughs> tissue box warning with it. Yes, but, little, but little this is why. I mean, do you see why it's it's so? <laughs> I when I started the foundation too, I, you know, I had people say, "Oh, space. I, I don't care about space. Space has nothing to do with me," and I'm like. 
man, there's a huge awareness gap. And I I think I was like the average American where before I met Buzz and Neil, I didn't know there was more than moonwalkers than those guys. I didn't know there was more than one moon landing. And, and I think that that's what average American is like. Everybody had maybe yeah. known the name Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin. But so that's why I'm like, man, I know all these guys. And I, I got welcomed into this world. And then when people talk about space being wasteful or not, you know, something that doesn't matter to them, I'm like, man, maybe I can help tell this story because I'm one of these people. And, and this is where my, my, my tagline has come now for Space for a Better World is I'm trying to connect space curious to the space serious because I was a space curious person who came into deep space and I'm in deep space now, but there there's got to be some way to bring those worlds together to see the value in space to where we spent two, you know, Nicole Stott just said this to me, they spent $220 billion on the, on the world cup. Mm-hmm. And yet, right. But what it will take to get to the moon is like a fraction of that cost to send humans back to the moon and the technologies will get out of that. And the inspiration will get out of it is beyond measure really. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's why I think, okay, if maybe with astronauts and with me, the simple girl from South Dakota who has gotten to travel the world with astronauts, maybe somehow we can convince not just regular people, but people with influence to, to value space technology and what we've learned from space exploration. It's Amazing. a big goal. It's, it's, yeah. a, big, no, big it's goal. a worthy goal. I, I love that you brought in the World Cup and the spending on that because you see this happen in the mm-hmm. industry so often where people are like, why waste all this money on space right. exploration when there's so many problems on Earth? And then you're like, what? Like, is anyone, you know, pointing fingers at that NFL stadium that just got built? Which it nope. still like blows my mind that the NFL is a nonprofit. Like, you've got, yeah. like <laughs> oh my gosh. Like, um, uh, we're going to have to wrap it up. I really want to let the guys um, throw in any last questions because I, I always feel like I'm I'm dominating sometimes the conversation. But do you guys have anything, any last, like, uh, like I don't even know how to follow any of that up. You made me cry. I, you made yeah, me cry well, in my own show. <laughs> <laughs> the, the one thing that you reminded me of just at the end there was um, this idea of using space to inspire and to get um, – mm-hmm the next generation to aim higher it really reminds me of um rona ramon um i'm not sure if you're familiar with the story of ilan ramon the uh, columbia mm-hmm. astronaut and his late wife rona who basically went through the tragedy of losing her husband ilan in a uh, in the space shuttle disaster and then losing her son who was an, uh, an air force pilot and then at that point the only expectations that society had for her was just like just just survive you know just don't be depressed and let that take over your life and and she basically turned her entire life, her entire legacy into this educational um, outreach, just a foundation, which used space to inspire in the same way that you're describing now. And it's kind of like that level of inspiration is something that you can only see from people who have really, truly had hardship in their lives and pushed through it. And connecting that to space to me, just, yeah, it just, it fits in really perfectly with that same idea of space to inspire. So yeah, it's. I, I met her son too. Um, oh. I met him before he was at Kennedy Space Center for an event, um, and I met him. So, yeah, it's kind of amazing how you know you meet, and I think that's the best of space. To be honest, I mean, you know, that's why like when Apollo One, when they lost the Apollo One crew, they all were like, "We cannot let their their sacrifice be in vain." We have to keep pushing forward. We can't just give up. We all know the risk. We're all willing to take the risk. And that's, I think, something that is a good reminder for everybody um, because people have become, just society in general has become so risk averse that we just will stagnate, you know? So, you know, I, I feel like if I have an opportunity to take what I've learned and this access that I've gained and do something good with it and hopefully light the spark in another kid and inspire my own kids, I have an eight-year-old and an 11-year-old, you know, um, then it matters. Then it matters. If I can do it and even if I can just make a difference or, or light that spark in one kid, then, it, then it's worth doing. I'm going to cry again, Benjamin. Oh, no. uh, <laughs> she finished. This is me. This is me. This is what I do. All right. Well, I, I have a question. Um, I heard you quote something that Buzz said in one of the interviews you gave where he said that they've never thrown 
uh, a ticker tape parade for a rover. Um, I love that quote. And I was wondering, do you think that the first person to return to the moon or the first person to go to Mars would, in this day and age, receive that kind of a hero's welcome when they come back? And do you think it would kind of reinvigorate that uh, need for the general public to see space exploration like we did in the 60s? Yeah, I I think... I think, you know, that unfortunately people have become like blasé about mm-hmm. astronauts who go to low Earth orbit because it's not very far away and there's always people up there and people don't pay attention. And even my dad at one point was like, well, they go to space all the time. What's the big deal? Mm-hmm. But there's a huge difference than when you're sending them that far away. Um, and I do think the Artemis program has the potential to excite the world the same way that the Apollo missions did. And especially to w- see the first woman walk Mm -hmm. on the moon. I mean, and I've had a lot of guys say to me, Hey, it's not just the women who are excited to see this, you know, it's exciting for the guys too, you know, to see, especially younger generations who I think are very supportive are are a lot more open-minded about um, gender equality and that sort of thing. You know, I, I do often have guys attack me uh, behind like in, in DMS. Why do you have to promote the women? Why do you have what? And I'm like, in case you haven't noticed, I'm a woman. (laughs) <laughs> We're pretty doggone hard to get to where I am. But but that being said, I mean, yes, I believe I, that it's the human in human spaceflight. I think it's you know, all of this technology is still about connecting humans. And yeah. even when we're sending rovers to Mars, it's about finding life. Right. So I mean, right. it is still about this search for life and connecting life. And so. I do think that, oh my gosh, I can't even imagine once we do finally send humans to Mars, you know, that will be a big deal. Um, it is so huge. much harder and so much farther away than going to the moon. But I, but even still, it's been 50 years since we sent humans to the moon. So sending humans, sending a woman, sending an international crew, yes, I think that mm-hmm. that's what it will take. Um, because you, people don't get so excited about hardware. Maybe the super geeks do. But, but but ultimately it's about rooting for other humans. Right. 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 Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, and I, as a, as a fellow mother, I'm, I'm very much looking forward to watching the day that the next person, no matter who it is, the next human steps foot on the moon with them, with, with my kids. You know what I mean? Like I've never seen it and I get to watch that for the first time with my children. And that is a really like special experience for me. We need to wrap it up. I'm so sorry. <laughs> um, <laughs> but um, yeah, uh, just throw out your, uh, where to follow you again one more time. Everybody who's listening to the show can figure it out. They, that you're on IROC. You can figure out how to follow the rest of us. But Christina, you shout out your handles one more time and we will wrap this up. Yeah, you can follow everything I'm doing with the astronauts at spaceforabetterworld.com or uh, handle at spacefabworld or me, ex- Xtina, X-T-I-N-A underscore K-O-R-P. It's, and if for anything, just to see her jump in sometimes inappropriate <laughs> places. So, I mean, if, if there's a reason to follow someone like jumping at Stephen Hawking's funeral, I feel like that that's a worthy cause to follow. So thank you so much for joining us, Christina. Thank you to all of our listeners for tuning in. We love this space for good. Um, I cried twice on the show, so obviously it, it is a... <laughs> Oh, this That's is a record, a, this by is a very the way. Special. Yeah, that was a record. Yeah, yeah. Two, I maybe cry episode. every once in a while. But thank you again, uh, like I said, to everyone listening, and we hope you join us next week and have a great ho- or that you had a great holiday season, and we will talk to you again next week. You are listening to the Space Case Sarah Show with my space nerds and special guest Christina here on iRock Space Radio. You've been listening to the Space Case Sarah Show with the space nerds, Kavi and Benjamin, a production of iRock Space Radio. Go to iRockSpaceRadio.com for more.